Hey, welcome today to the Revival Way podcast. I am your host, evangelist, Taylor Michael. Today we're going to pump you up full of the Word of God to get you delivered out of any work of the enemy and to get you empowered and activated to go out and build the kingdom of God with full faith and no hindrance in the mighty name of Jesus. Enjoy. Do a Q&A session. Is there anybody that has questions over the things that we've, we've covered the past couple of weeks? First of all, let's start with this. What have we covered the past couple of weeks? We covered gifts last week. We did cover gifts. Uh-huh. The anointing. The anointing. Being strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Jesus. Very good, dude. <laughs> Who Jesus is. Yes, who Jesus is. Good one. Any others? This is what, our sixth time meeting? We've been going almost two months strong. Joshua 1 and 2. Yeah. Joshua 1. Joshua 2. The different types of heavens. Different types of heavens. Very good. key topics we've covered for sure. These are the the four pillars. You can write this down because I want you to remember this. This is just the four basic pillars that you need to understand. All your preaching will derive from this. All your learning will derive from these pillars. Everything that your faith basically stands on right now can be uh, coupled in with these four pillars. Number one, salvation slash redemption through Jesus Christ. Number two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you remember in Acts chapter two, Peter shared a message proving that Jesus had fulfilled prophecy. When Jesus, I think it's in Psalms 26, what he said on the cross before he passed, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting scripture from Old Testament as prophecy, but at the end of that scripture, it explains how then they pierced my hands and pierced my feet. He was proving through prophetic scripture that he was the Messiah. And then he says, hold on real quick, Dave. And then he says, immediately after Peter proves that he was the Messiah, they said, wow, it was pierced to the heart is what it says. And he says, what should we do? And he said, now repent, therefore, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is a gift for believers. The Holy Spirit cannot be given to sinners. The Holy Spirit is a gift for the believer." But he said, repent, therefore, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift to your inheritance as a believer in Christ. So that's number two. What was your question, David? So when Jesus says, my God, my God, why forsake me? So we're forsaking things. Does that mean 
was he just quoting scripture? He was just quoting scripture. But for the first time in Jesus' existence on the earth, God had, I won't say turned his face from him, but sin is separation from God. Jesus, so I'll give you a fun fact about crucifixion. Crucifixion was meant to last anywhere from three to six days. It was a slow, long, painful, embarrassing death. That's why most religions say, why do you believe in a God who said he came to earth in human form and then died the most humiliating death of all? We're like, exactly, that's the point. That we don't have to work our way to heaven, but in fact, God did the very opposite when anybody would ever expect send his only son in human form, fully God, fully man, to die the most humiliating death of all. So it's supposed to last three to six days. Jesus died in a little less than three hours, according to historians. Why? Because he took all sickness, all disease on his body, and he took the sins of the world. That sped up the process of him dying. So when he took the sins of the world on this one man, just as it says in Galatians, I believe, it says that through one man, sin entered the world. And through one man, redemption was given through the world. That Jesus took all the burden of sin, death, and the grave on the cross. Hence, he died. So he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that was the first time in his existence he'd ever felt separation from God. Imagine that. Imagine where you're at today. Even now, being separate from God, I would be annihilated. I'd be a wreck. I'd cry. It'd be terrible. So that's what he was saying there. Number three. Divine healing slash divine health. And these are all topics we've covered so far. I'm just showing you how you can group them. Now, divine healing and divine health. What does that look like? In Exodus chapter 23, we see God tell Moses that as he leads these people and they stay in the commands of the Lord, he says, I'll keep all sickness and all disease away from you. If you stay in my will and you obey my word. So God's intention has always been to remove sickness, remove disease from you. Just like we've read in Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow or the protection of the Almighty. It says even though a thousand fall at your one side and ten thousand at your right side, this pestilence will not come near your dwelling. A pestilence is any incurable sickness or disease. God promises multiple times that your inheritance as a Christian in Christ is divine health and divine healing. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, you ought to pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's no cripples in heaven. There's no none of that in heaven. If it's not in heaven, we don't have to see it here on earth. If you do see it, handle it by the word of God and by the spirit of the Lord. So that's number three, divine health, divine healing. Number four, the soon return of Jesus Christ. The soon return of Jesus Christ. The reality is he's coming back. Jesus said, this fig tree generation surely will not pass before the Son of Man comes again. We are in the fig tree generation. A lot of people won't speak that boldly. Because the Bible says we do not know the day nor the hour that the Son of Man will return. Neither does he. But we do know the season. Jesus said it. The fig tree generation was accomplished on May 14, 1948. When Israel bloomed, and the Bible said in the Old Testament, can a nation be born in a day? Israel was born in one day, May 14, 1948. Ever since 586 B.C., they had not been a nation. So over 2,000 years, and finally the Lord restored their nation. They are a nation again. We are in the fig tree generation. 
According to the Bible, a generation is anywhere from 70 to 120 years. According to the Bible, Jesus will return in our lifetime. Assuming that you all live that long, but the Bible says that you will be given long life. So I claim that over your lives. So there, it's a very strong reality that according to the Bible and Bible prophecy, everything's fulfilled. It doesn't say in the Bible that every ear needs to hear the word. It says it must be preached in every nation. In every nation. 91% of the languages in the world have already translated the Bible into their language. We are like right there. Basically, it's in, I think it, it, in the 1980s, it's been the gospel was brought into every nation. So just about every person has heard the gospel or at least had an opportunity to give their life to Jesus. We're like on the brink. Prophetically, nothing else needs to happen outside the rapture. So, those four pillars are the four pillars that you can base your learning and your preaching. And again, this is kind of just personal opinion. This isn't like, oh, I drove this from, from the scriptures. But these are the four pillars that I base the way that I preach off of in my life. Number one, being salvation redemption. Baptism of the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Spirit and His communion, divine healing, divine health, the soon coming of Christ. Outside of that, uh, you can do what you want with it. But I heard a wise man once say, I wouldn't preach or go outside the bounds of those four pillars until you're like above the age of 30. Because sometimes you can get into some goofy doctrine and you just don't want to be doing that. Do you have a question, Dave? Where can you read about it? Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't get into that right now. But. Oh, I had another question. Just like post-trib or pre-trib? It's hard to tell. Yeah, it is. There's, so I'll give you sort of both outlooks on it. I lean more on pre-trib because of the character of God. But there's a lot to make you think it could be mid-trib or post-trib. But according to the character of God, and uh, if you look at things prophetically, I'll say, in the book of Revelation, the letters are written to the seven churches in the first three chapters. And then in chapter four, God says, he calls John, he says, come up hither. And then when John is called up into heaven, how preacher people teach it is that that's a type of rapture. John was taken up into heaven, and then once he was taken up, the man of lawless, lawlessness was revealed. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe, that the one who holds back the man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, until he is removed, then the Antichrist cannot put in his dominion. Now, the thought of pre-trib rapture is that the authority of the believer, that there's more authority in one Holy Ghost-filled person than all the demons in the world. The Bible says, greater is he in you than any demon in the world, all put together, literally. That's what the literal translation is. The devil and all his demons put together. More is he in you. Greater is he in you than all of them put together in the world. So if the Antichrist possessed somebody, an 80-year-old grandma full of the Holy Ghost could go cast the devil out of them. So pre-trib rapture is the thought of that doesn't make any sense. Because while the church is on the earth, the Bible says the devil is beneath our feet. Yeah. So the devil can't run around doing everything that he wants. However, there's also a lot that proves mid-trib, post-trib uh, I guess I can't say prove because obviously these are all like theories. It depends largely whether or not you lean on the side of thinking the tribulation is the wrath of God. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, but it's a whole other thing. You have to do your own research because there's people obviously that have been arguing about this for thousands of years. Yeah, um, anyway. yeah I've seen people that argue both ways. Like I saw like Mike Bickle for example. 
has a good post-trip stuff, so. Yeah. Like, are you even, like, when you're living pre-trip, is that when you go up and like, like, kill the trips during the Correct, that's the belief of pre-trip. So, like, people believe when the rapture, so the rapture is also going to happen? Yes, that's what the rapture is. That those that have kept their robes white will be called into heaven. That's the time. But we're not going to get into that tonight. I think you're going. I'll finish the podcast when I have time later tonight. Sounds good, Freddie. All right. See you. Have a good one. See you. See you. See you. See you. Well, so all the things that we've covered so far, let's do some Q&A of that. And I'll, I'll just keep people up to date. Otherwise, if you don't have questions, I'll preach on something. What's the trip? Tribulation. Do you know what the tribulation is? Read the book of Revelation. (laughs) Tribulation is a, it's it's a large topic. So I, I probably, I can preach on it sometime. One of these weeks I'll do, I'll do an in-depth teaching on it. But you can also find a lot of stuff online as well. What would you say are five things that you can do to increase anointing in your life? Very good. Number one, hunger. Sounds very simple, but I'll I'll explain. First, in order to find out how to increase the anointing on your life, you have to understand what the anointing even is. Dean, what's the anointing? power of God. The anointing is the power of the Holy Ghost on your life. So, number one, you need hunger. You need hunger for fellowship. This is, it's funny, I was actually just preaching on this before when I was doing my live stream. When you hunger for God, you will always get more of Him. He said in the book of Matthew, I believe it's in the uh, fifth chapter, He said, if you being evil, give good gifts to your children, imagine how much more the Father will give you the Holy Ghost. So when you call on increase of anointing in your life, God wants to give it to you. He wants to give you more anointing than you want, but you have to be hungry. See, the Bible says many things in the Bible, I believe, run by concepts. There's principles. God's a person. He has a personality. So he runs things principally, just like we would. There's principles in our lives that we run things off of. So it says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So those that hunger and thirst for things receive what it is that they hunger and thirst after. So if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll receive righteousness. You'll be filled with righteousness. I also believe if you hunger and thirst for the anointing, you'll be filled with the anointing. And that hunger, when you hunger and thirst after the presence and the person of God, you will see increase because God is not a God of decrease. God's a God of increase. So, number one, hunger. Number two, character. This is one thing that some people don't talk about. But character is the foundation with which the anointing comes. And I'll prove it to you. Who remembers the fruits of the Spirit? I know you all do. You all grew up in church. Somebody recite them for us. There you go. 
The word fruit is another word for evidence. So the Holy Spirit doesn't hand you pears and apples and oranges. That's not the fruit we're talking about. The Holy Ghost, his evidence of working in your life is the fruits of the Spirit. When he gets to working in your life, as we've discussed before, his job, number one, is to draw you to Jesus. As he draws you to Jesus, once you give your life to Jesus, he comes to dwell inside of you. And then it says in 1 John 2.27, the anointing that abides in you teaches you all things. He refines you. He sanctifies you. He delivers you out of sin. That's why in Romans chapter 8, he says that you are alive to Christ as you walk in the Spirit. In Romans 6, you're no longer in dominion of sin. As you press into the Holy Spirit and relationship with Him, character will always abide. Jesus will start to live through you. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. It says that Jesus loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, He was anointed with more of the oil of gladness than His brethren. Which means people can be anointed more than other people. Why was he anointed more? Hated wickedness. Hated lawlessness. Hated sin. Loved righteousness. When you love what God loves and you hate what God hates, you'll take on the character, the nature of God. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. I'll show you what Paul said to Timothy about it. About character. Verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. Say holy. Holy. Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. In order to be a useful vessel, you must live holy. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So Paul tells Timothy, live holy, and you'll be a vessel for honorable use. Some people think, ah, I don't have to take sin seriously, and I can just run around and still preach the word. There was a season in my life where I thought, oh, I just love Jesus. I don't need to lay down certain things. But you'll notice, Jesus said, wide is the road, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the road, and hard is the path that leads to eternal life. The reason he said that is because the more sanctified you get, the more you realize how much more you need to be sanctified. The closer you get to God, the further, the, the more you realize how far away you really were. See, all of a sudden, you might have been drinking every weekend, or for me, it's like doing things I shouldn't have been doing, sleeping around with other girls, doing drugs, drinking, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost comes to live inside of me, and I have no taste for those things. I lay down drinking. I lay down drugs. I lay down premarital sex. And then maybe a door opens up. I was 21, so I justified drinking, so I would keep drinking. And I would still vape. I would jewel. I'd have pouches. And, and I wasn't convicted in those areas because it was legal. I was 21. I'm a grown man. I can do those things. But it wasn't the act that was wrong. It was the addiction. It was the spirit behind the act that was wrong. And so after I laid down all these other things, the Holy Spirit started to chip away at these sinful things in my life. All sin is is missing the mark. That's what it means, to miss the mark. To miss the mark to cause you to be separated from God. Here's God, the bullseye. 
When you sin, you're right here. You missed God. When you don't sin, you hit the bullseye. You're in the will of God, and you're with God, and you feel his presence everywhere you go. When I decided to live a righteous life, there, for example, Blake Vandeman, he came up to me, and this is about a year ago, and he said, man, there's just, like, people say a lot of things about you, you know? And I was, the, the reality is, is that when you have a calling on your life, demon-possessed people will say demon-possessed things about you. And now that's a fact. And he would say, you know what? People say a lot of things about you. And I said, well, what do they say? And they say, well, he's a hypocrite, he's this, he's that. And I said, Blake, I'll tell you what. You or anybody else can come hang out with me as many days as you want. If you catch me sin one time, then I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that and I'll lay down the ministry. Not to say I, I don't ever sin. There's, there might be times where I like, I don't know, I should think actually, I don't know. You don't sin willfully. I don't willfully sin. The Lord reveals things to you that you maybe didn't know was sin. Exactly. You don't go to sin saying, I know this is sin. Correct. I've drawn a line in the sand. That's what I told Blake. I was like, I've made a decision. I don't sin. That is a decision that every person that wants to be used by God must make. That's like the bare minimum decision. you got to be hungry. Of course, that's just common sense. Number two, you have to have character. And number three, you have to live holy. If you don't live holy, you'll never be a vessel for the Holy Spirit. It's not a coincidence. It's called the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit can't be attracted to dirty. You know, He's precious. He's pure. He's holy. He's awesome. He's amazing. So holiness is the third key to increasing the anointing. Number four, I'm trying to see how I can word this. Crucifying the flesh, put it that way, a.k.a. fasting. But there's more that comes with fasting. And so here, let me, let me, let me tell you why you would want to increase the anointing on what are some things that the anointing does, Reed? Think about it in the scripture. What did Jesus say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to do what? Huh? All things. All things? That's one of them. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel. To proclaim liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom to those that are oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim or preach the year of the Lord's favor. In order to preach the gospel, in order to open blind eyes and see people healed, in order to set people free, in order to preach God's favor, you need to be anointed. That's why, if you remember, I shared that you could go to a sermon. Some guy could write down a perfectly laid out three-point sermon. It could go 45 minutes on the dot, and you can take it and wipe your butt with it. Compared to me, who comes up here and just preaches for three hours, and like I just do circles and just spit scripture at you. And it's not because I'm special by any means. It's simply because the Lord, His Spirit is upon me. I've decided to press into that. See, when, when I preach, you guys aren't attracted to me. When, when I go out and I lay hands on the sick, people aren't attracted. They see Christ working through me. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you see an anointed man or woman of God, even though you see their earth suit, that's not what you're attracted to. You're attracted to what lives inside of them. There's people that randomly get my phone number and they'll shoot me texts. There's people that send me DMs. There's people that just want to hang out with me. It's not because I'm some great guy. I mean, I'm not a bad guy. No. But it's because Jesus lives in me. There's something I've tapped into that some people don't have, and they want it. It's the same thing in your life. 
Jesus is inside of you. You tap into that, people will be drawn to it. We were literally created to be drawn to God. You'll, you'll notice, you can ask all my friends, I walk into a restaurant, I go to, I go to any, anywhere I go, it's like important people just find me. The anointing draws important people into your life. So why would you want to be anointed? One, you need it if you ever want to even go into the ministry. Two, you're never going to see signs, wonders, or miracles without it, aside from faith healing, which more often than not will happen on account of somebody else's faith, because if you don't have faith, you'll never walk in the anointing anyway. But aside from that, you've got to be able to keep people's attention. Imagine if I came up here, I read how 90% of ministers read. Well, let's return to our reading in the book of Psalms. It lasts like 10 minutes. You'd never come back again. This place would be empty. But no, we come in here. We do the works of the gospel. We prophesy. We declare the word of God over our lives. We flow in the Holy Ghost. We lay hands on each other. We see people get healed. We cast the devils out of people. Like, that's the full gospel. You need the anointing to flow in the power of God. I think about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said, I didn't come to you with wise, cunning words and the wisdom of man. I came to you in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Simplicity. It's a simple gospel. You come, you say, hey, look, God separated himself from man due to sin. But God said, even in Genesis chapter 3, you have bruised his heel, I'll send another that will crush your head. So God fulfilled the prophetic word that he had already spoken in Genesis chapter 3, sent his son because he loved you. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And because he sent his son to die for you, you now are reconciled. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We are blameless, holy, set apart, separate before God. Now, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are no longer separated. The veil is gone. God lives inside of us now. So number four, fasting, crucifying the flesh. You can write down these scriptures. Matthew chapter 6. And Isaiah 58. Those are the keys to true fasting. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, Do not fast in public as the hypocrites fast, where they mourn with their face, and they draw attention to themselves, for surely they have received their reward. But instead, anoint your head with oil, wash your face, and go about your day. Close the door and pray and fast in the secret place, and where your father sees in the secret, he will reward you in the open. Fasting done in the secret place crucifies your flesh. What it does is it moves your spirit into alignment with the spirit of God. It annihilates the flesh. You'll see things in your flesh when you fast that will boil up to the surface that you didn't even know were there. For example, I went on a fast about a year ago. It was an extended fast, a three-day fast. It was a fast I was kind of forced into by a friend, Katie. And uh, I felt obligated to do this fast because he was doing it and he asked us to do it and whatever. I'm slightly glad I did it because what the enemy intended for evil there, God, God would forgive. And uh, I was about day two in this fast and I was not having it. You guys ever done a fast before? What's the longest fast you've done? Three days. Three days? If you've never done a three day fast before, you hit about Halfway through day two, the beginning of day three, things start getting Day one, piece of cake. You might get a little bit hungry here and there. Wait, what did you, you fast? All food. All food. And, uh, yeah, you, I mean, day one's not too bad. Day two's all right. 
day three is like you're getting there. So we were on day two and a half about. And all of a sudden, spirits began to manifest out of me that I didn't even know were living inside of me. Not even kidding. All of a sudden, it's like these outbursts of anger started to rise to the surface. Irritation started to boil up. And I was like, what is going on? And I just, I, I got weird and irritable, and it was out of character for me. I'm typically a very composed individual. And all of a sudden, I just felt the urge I needed to go to my room and go pray. I get to my room, I get on my knees, and I said, Lord, what is happening right now? And the Holy Spirit began to minister to me. And he gave me this image of water boiling, and that there were impurities in my life, that when you fast, you turn up the heat. And when you turn up the heat, it, it, it boils up the impurities in your life to the surface. And then you are to take authority over those spirits and get rid of them. And so that's what I did. Because what you're doing is you're crucifying the flesh. Evil spirits, worldly spirits, familiar spirits, they feed on the flesh. When you deny the flesh, those things come to surface. Here, I'll use an example that we all have. What happens when you're falling into masturbation and pornography and all of a sudden you're like, I'm never doing it again. You make it three, four, five days maybe, and then suddenly it starts to boil up to the surface. You're like, whoa, I need to touch it, right? That's a spirit. It needs to be taken care of. Same thing with food. Food is a spirit. Let's put it that way. Food is spiritual. Hunger is spiritual. It's called gluttony. Gluttony is a real thing where people need food in order to survive. And I won't get too far into that. But I started to take authority over these spirits, and I started to cast them out. And all of a sudden, I had peace that surpassed all understanding. And I found myself increasing in the anointing of God. About nine months ago, I started to press in to prayer and fasting. Press in. Our whole group did. And if you would have seen us a year ago, you would not recognize us as preachers today comparatively to who we were a year ago. Not even a year ago. Maybe even nine months ago. When did we see Jonathan? July? Yeah. So, so nine months ago. No, no. You, we went in October. Last we went, year? Yeah, we went in July. So you've been on this train even less. Yeah. So nine months ago. We started pressing in. Yeah, nine, nine months ago, we've been, we've been pressing in to prayer and fasting. And I watched the anointing increase like crazy. I even feel it right now. I'm supposed to feel it. You know? It's like all of a sudden, you, just, you can drink from the own well that lives inside of you. And when you start pressing into it, you can, when you feel the anointing. Now, I want you to understand this. We walk by faith and not by sight. And every cliche Christian on the planet will say, well, you know, we don't base our faith off of feelings. Yeah, I know. I'm very well aware. But there's something about when you feel the presence of God. And everyone that tries to tell you, don't get caught up in your feelings. Don't get caught up in your emotions. They have no idea. They've never, ever experienced God. I'll put it that way. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that these men or these women base their faith in Christ off of their emotion. No. But every person that had an encounter with Jesus Christ had an emotional encounter. It's impossible to encounter the living God and not have a feeling and emotional occurrence happen. So, so there's something that happens in your spirit where when you feel God, you'll feel him all the time. There's this guy, his name is uh, Dr. Pastor, Dr. Um, Todd Holmes. He's about yay big, little guy, but just a fireball. And he's like old and anointed. And Josh and I went to go hear a preach up in Whitmore, over in Whitmore, Iowa, a couple months ago. And he shared this story about the presence of God. And he began to press into prayer and fasting, where he closed the door and he prayed. He'd wake up every morning and he prayed from 6 a.m. until noon. 
and he spent six hours with God every day in the morning. And I like, I spent quality time with God. That made me look like weak sauce. And I was like, wow, that's intense, man. Six hours every day, no matter what, he would start with the Lord. He did it for nine months straight. Every day, six hours a day in prayer with God. And he finally felt breakthrough. And when he felt breakthrough, what he had been praying for for nine months, he said, Lord, I don't want a second in my day to pass without me feeling your presence. And I don't know how many of you have felt the presence of God like intensely. When it gets intense, it's the most addicting thing ever. Psalm chapter 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It says, uh, somewhere it is written, that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. We all know the psalm, right? And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. It's true. Because knowing the presence of God in your life all the time makes everything around you grow strangely dim. And so he, he had that present breakthrough. And he said, Lord, I want you to yank my chain if, if I ever go a second in my day without feeling your presence. And all of a sudden, Christmas came around, and he's out shopping. And he's like in shopper mode. He needs to run and get last-minute gifts for everybody. He's running around the mall, getting into all these places. And, and I think he's got like one... He's got like one store open or something like that. One store left that he needs to get to go pick up this final thing for somebody. It's an important gift. And he's got these gifts and he's running through the mall. And suddenly he feels a chain on his ankle. Yank. And he just went smacked on his face. Spilled the gifts everywhere. And he's like, what the heck? And he looked. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he said, you said to yank your chain any time that you don't acknowledge my presence. The Lord took it literally and yanked his chain right there in the middle of the mall. And there's something about it. When you press into prayer and fasting, you build a relationship with God. The entire Old Testament is about sacrifice. Everything that they did was sacrifice and offering to the Lord. Your whole life. What did Paul write? Your life is a living sacrifice. Be a savory fragrance to God. Live a life of sacrifice to God. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. There's not much we can give God other than our lives. So when you dedicate, consecrate, and choose to make your life a sacrifice through prayer and through fasting, it, it's a sweet aroma to God. He's drawn to it because it shows faith. Hebrews 11.6. Anyone that would draw near to God must first believe that he is the God of the Bible, that he exists, he is God. Lord, you are God. Jehovah, you're God. And that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. When you pray and when you, when you fast, those things take faith. God is addicted to faith. God smells faith. He'll pass a million people to get to the one person that has faith. Mm. That one person that says, no matter what, I reject everything else in this life. I don't care what I hear. I don't care what I see. I care what that says. That will ultimately make God your provider all the time. And you'll build a relationship with him through prayer and fasting. Okay. Number five. What were the four? Who wrote them down? Make sure I I'm going to count it down. Holy holiness. There's the crucifying. No, five. Number five, obedience. Take off. Love you, dude. Number five, obedience. Obedience. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, If you are willing and obedient, put slash willing next to obedience. Willing and obedient. 
If you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the fat of the land, meaning that you will live a life of excess, of abundance. You will always eat the best, the fat. Have you guys ever had one of those good steaks? It's just like seared fat. Lower it. Bacon, bacon's basically 98% fat. There's something about the fat of the land. When you're willing and obedient, the anointing will increase on your life. Now here's where some people get tripped up. They think God's going to yell at them from the clouds and say, go lay hands on this man and watch him walk. No, God has to trust you. If God can't trust you to be willing and obedient to spend an hour with him a day in prayer, to tithe 10% of your day to him in prayer and fasting and communion and fellowship, he's not going to trust you to go lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It says these signs will follow them that believe, which means God will answer his word. He looks over his word to perform it. But there's things that you won't be able to tap into unless you're willing and obedient. But it always starts small, like these See, even being here tonight, this works two ways. Number, number one, you being here, you catch what's on my life. Number two, me being here, I get increased for distributing to you what's on my life. So the way the anointing works is you increase the anointing by giving out the anointing. And this falls under willing and obedience. I believe it's in 1 Kings chapter 4, or 2 Kings chapter 4, I can't remember talks about the widow with the oil. And it's a parable, if you read it um, parabolically. It's a big word. This came out of my spirit. It's a parable for how to increase in the anointing. The Lord was speaking to me about it. You know what? I'll read it to you. This is, this is powerful. Turn to 1 Kings with me, chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. The Lord was sharing this to me as we were driving back from Florida a couple months ago. Starting in verse 1. Now the wife of the one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know now that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? What have you in your house? I want you, to, I want you to read this entire chapter, or this entire seven verses spiritually. So this is, when you read it, first level of revelation as a narrative, or literally, you're going to see it's obviously talking about Elisha and the widow with oil and answering a prayer for her. If you read it spiritually, you understand how it now applies to you. So how could this woman's life apply to you? I want you to realize what the types are in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament. Oil is the anointing. A house is a belief system. You are the house. You are the house with which it's talking about. What do you have in your house already? What's your capacity for the anointing of God in your life already? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So she's saying, I don't have much, but I have a little bit. I've got some of the anointing of God in my life. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. So he's showing her how to multiply the anointing here. 
He's saying, you only have a little bit of oil. This is how we're going to take care of that and multiply. Go grab vessels with no oil. Get people that have no intimacy with God. Go find the people that have no anointing in their life and begin to pour into these empty vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she had one full one. She had to believe that as she poured everything out, she would be supplied with more from the Lord. And when one is full, set it aside. So she did. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. So she filled all these vessels. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So what did you notice? When did the oil stop? When she stopped pouring out. You'll experience seasons in your life. I pray you don't, but it just happens sometimes. If you experience seasons in your life where you feel dry, where you're like, man, I don't know. I just feel like there's more. I feel like I'm lost. I feel distant. I don't know what's going on. I just feel dry. It's because you've stopped pouring out every single time. God will always keep you fresh if you keep pouring out. Now, there's also a moment where you can pour out too much. And if you're pouring out incorrectly, not getting poured into yourself by intimacy with the Lord and staying around other people that commune with God, then you can dry out as well. But the anointing is multiplied through obedience and intimacy with the Lord. You gotta be willing and obedient to pour into other vessels. And it'll increase on your life. And suddenly you'll feel it. You can feel it's possible to feel the presence of God, the anointing of God, everywhere you go. When I wake up in the morning, I I, I can't say I hate it. I hate the feeling of waking up not in the anointing. Because I slept all night. There's some nights where I'll preach in my sleep and I'll wake up in the anointing. But other than that, it's like I wake up just like every other person. I'm like, I don't, I'm, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not every other person. I don't wake up like that. I walk in the Spirit. I live in the Spirit. Lord, I want to wake up in your anointing. When you wake up and you're like, ugh, I don't feel anointed, I still am anointed, but I just have to tap into it. It's a water pump. It's a well, a well of living water that lives inside of you. How do you access that well? You got to pump it out. Praying in tongues. When you pray in the Spirit, you pump out what's in the well. Those are my five keys that I would say to increase the anointing on your life. There's other areas too. You can obviously receive impartation. Um, you'll catch what's on somebody else's life. Jesus said, freely you've received, therefore you freely give. So what's on a man's life or a woman's life, you can catch it for free. Every time you sit in this room, every time I preach, what's on my life is available to you. You just have to make a decision in your heart to grab it when you're here. There's, there's a, a place in the spirit where you get when you sit in a room with a man of God or a woman of God and they're preaching where suddenly this opens up and what I have flows into you. And you'll catch it and you'll be filled up every time. That's the whole point. I've been, I've been graced as one of the five-fold ministries that will touch this planet. Right now, I flow in the evangelical evangelist office. The thing about the fivefold ministry is they've been given, just like every Christian, but they've been, oftentimes, they've been given an extra dose. Let's put it that way. If I needed anything, it was an extra dose of refreshing. This man named Rodney Howard Brown, he's also an evangelist and a pastor right now that we go to see. 
He's been given an extra dose on his life. It's not for him. What's on my life is not for me. It's for people I'm around. It's for my friends. It's for heathens. You're not heathens. I don't know why I pointed at you. It's for heathens. And it's for you guys. What's on my life is not for me. That way, I don't make a decision of what I do with it. I mean, what's on my life can easily be put on somebody else's. I just must have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God said, I will show favor to whom I show favor. And compassion to whom I show compassion. Somehow, someway, for some reason, probably the way I grew up, the Lord knew that he'd get more glory doing what he did in my life. Yeah. So, I won't say his name, but some, but Blake came up to me now. So, Blake came up to me really, yeah. So, my friend he wants to experience a spiritual faith. Doesn't know how, but here's the deal. He's very, very tied to his reformed beliefs, and I don't want to be like, okay, it's that. Probably wants to think that because because he is very he's a very very war building guy and I feel like that might have a little effect on his spiritual breakthrough because he he's so tied to this if you're tied to something you can't break through right right so like so is that would that be a like not a problem but like is that um, delay the spiritual breakthrough? Um, go for it. You can answer. Um, I think the reality of the fact. Okay, let's go to go with me to Genesis uh, 17. I got it. See you, Reed. Yeah. See you. Genesis 17. Verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. So in the NLT, that's also it, it's translated, it is your responsibility to keep the covenant. It is your responsibility and your descendants' responsibility to keep the covenant. Why I like that is because I'm a descendant of Abraham and so is this dude whoever he is because Galatians 3 verse 9 says I'm blessed along with Abraham Galatians 13, 14, uh, sorry, Galatians 3 verse 13 and 14 and 29 say I'm a descendant of Abraham that means this applies to me so yes God is sovereign but within his sovereignty he has made certain spiritual laws that exist and I can't just go throughout life expecting things to happen if God said do X and then Y will happen and me saying hey Lord if it's your will Y will happen no he said do X and Y will happen that's what God said so whilst God is sovereign we do have a part to play so what I'm saying is praise God he at least thinks 
I need to think of God first. But in order for him to think of God first, he needs to put the word of God above his experience. Who cares whether he's received faith or not? Who cares whether anything? Care about the word of God above and beyond your experience. Your experience is wrong. The word of God is right. If something goes wrong in my life, it's because my life is wrong and the word of God is right. My life needs to come in accordance with the word of God. Does that make sense? People don't take that very well in religious circles, but it is the truth. And so what Taylor was talking about is in Second Timothy, where it's one of the things that it talks about in needing to like increase uh, to be a vessel for honorable use is to be able to correct your opponents with gentleness and be able to bring something to someone and say, hey, this is why you're experiencing a problem. You are responsible for certain things in your life. And it's simple things like, for instance, one of the reasons why he won't be having breakthrough is he doesn't believe that 2,000 years ago breakthrough happened. He's not like hoping God will cause breakthrough in his life. He's struggling to receive the breakthrough that happened in his life. Mm. Every single thing that you need to happen in your life happened 2,000 years ago. That's when the power of God hit earth. That's when it hit so hard that it's literally destroyed everything that the devil ever we just need to receive it, and the only way that happens is by faith. So that's what I would say. It's like, listen, man, as far as I'm concerned, the word of God says 2,000 years ago, this happened, and you have all authority heaven and earth living inside of you that gives you the ability to receive it now. So you need to receive your breakthrough now for whatever it is. Go before the Lord. You can go to fasting. You can go to a bunch of different things, but it happened 2,000 years ago. Does that help? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, I think to point him in a direction, you must believe God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, God's given us every answer that we need for quote-unquote spiritual breakthrough. Like Stephen said, the thing is God is sovereign. We are responsible says that the earth is God's and the fullness thereof, but it also says the heavens belong to God and the earth he has given to man. So God has given our spiritual life into our hands and the responsibility of it. Him sounding like a guy that says, Lord willing all the time, Lord willing, Lord willing. Most people that say that often have no idea what the will of God is. <laughs> You're not meant, God doesn't hide his will from you. This whole book, is his will. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, every step he took, every word that left his mouth, everything that he'd accomplished is exactly what God would do if the Father was here on the earth, which he is by his spirit. So in order to, to tap into spiritual breakthrough, number one, you got to know the will of God is for your breakthrough. God wants you to have breakthrough more than you want to have breakthrough. He really does. That's why he told you different ways to, to I'll, I'll tell you the three easiest ways to see promotion and breakthrough in your life right now. You want to know it? I'll give you the three keys to spiritual breakthrough in your life. Promotion to take you to the next level. They're all in Matthew chapter 6 between verses 5 and 19, I believe. Number one, giving. He says, give and do not give as the hypocrites give. Do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. 
give in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will promote you in the open. Number two, prayer. He says, don't pray out in the open on the corner streets where everybody can hear you and see you. He says, close the door behind you and the Father that sees in the secret will reward you in the open. Number three, fasting. If you ever want to see spiritual breakthrough in your life, give sacrificially and do not, know, do not let other people know. Do, keep it between you and God. Number two, pray. Increase your prayer life. Guaranteed, anyone that says, I need a spiritual breakthrough, brother, if they added 10 extra minutes every day to their prayer life, they'd see the breakthrough. And number three, try a fast. Don't try a fast, do a fast. So, okay, so question about fasting. So, so see spiritual breakthrough kind of fast, would that be dramatic? There's three types of fastings that you see primarily in the Bible. Number one is for emergencies. That's a three-day fast, water only. So anytime you'd see people that need to like repent or they need God to really show up, there's an emergency, I need the Lord now to flip a situation, that was typically done in a three-day water fast. No food, only water for three days. You find a topic, you say, this is what I'm praying for, but you have to pray when you fast. You don't just fast, you fast and pray. Lord, whatever it is, I need to conquer this thing in my life. I feel the anointing on this. This is deep. The Lord wants you to hear this. Lord, you set the bullseye. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. I need your help in this area. You go on a three-day fast. Number two, a revelatory fast. This is for revelation. This is what you saw in the book of Daniel. Daniel did multiple fasts where he withheld from pleasurable things like meats. For us, it'd probably be meats and sugars. Maybe caffeine, something that you're in bondage to, whatever it might be when it comes to food. That was for revelation. If you remember in Daniel chapter 10, he did an extended fast. It was about three weeks. I think it was 24 days in that instance. Most people go about 21 days. When you do a three-week extended revelatory fast, the message of the Lord came to Daniel to give him revelation on a topic. You can expect fresh, fresh revelation, a season of refreshing in your spirit when you do this type of fast. Number three is a fast for dominion. This dominion fast is what you see when Moses, Elijah, Joshua, and Jesus did a 40-day fast. Each one of them took the most, I would argue, the most dominion in the kingdom of God during their age. That's a dominion fast. No food, no water. No, it's water. No food, only water, 40 days. A Daniel fast normally consists of fruits and vegetables. That's the 21-day fast. Fruits, vegetables, grains and like nuts. That's what you can eat. You resist from meats, high sugary content things, other pleasurable foods and say. So for spiritual breakthrough, which one is depends what the breakthrough you're looking for is. So like for me, like you want to like, like if I want to, like it's okay to want to encounter God. Yeah. So like, I'm trying to think of the word to say like, I need an to grow, to grow. What would be the one to do? You've done one already, right? Yeah. What'd you do? I didn't know. Well, I didn't know for for how long? Like twenty hours. 
You didn't make it the whole day? No, I, I, I ate supper. <laughs> <laughs> I ate supper. I would start with one day. One day? This is, I'll give you two options. Start with one day, no food, only water, and pray at least two hours that day. Not counting worship. You can do one hour in the morning, one hour at night. For me, I like to go, like if I can get a, an hour of worship and really get in the spirit, then pray in the spirit, not pray out of your flesh. You pray in the spirit. If you can get that, then you'll have an encounter with God. Now, I'm not saying he'll show up like an angel. I mean, could. Very possible. But you'll have an encounter. The first time I did it, that's when the glory of the Lord entered my room. You're talking about, um, so if you fasted all day, Yeah, all day. You can pray without ceasing, you know, that's what Paul said. Pray without ceasing. You pray can, nonstop. You can pray nonstop. Your your spirit has a voice. You have to understand this. Yeah. You ever notice like you could close your mouth right now and say, I love you, Jesus, in your heart. Yeah. Your heart can pray without your words. You can be constantly praying in your heart all the time. I pray in tongues in my spirit and I don't even open my mouth. All the time. That's praying without ceasing. You can have constant communion with the Holy Spirit like that. But what I would recommend, you put a bullseye on it. Lord, I need increase in this area of my life. I want to feel your power. I want to feel your presence like I never have before. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I'm dedicating that I tithe my day to you today. Whatever 10% of your day is. If you're awake for 16 hours a day, take 1.6 hours at least and give it to God. No matter what, you should, you should, I firmly believe you should live a life where you tithe all of your hours. You should have more hours given to God than what you're actually required by tithing, I believe. So that's what I would do. And then do it for a day. And other than that, if you don't want to try that, do a three-day Daniel fast. Where you just do fruits and vegetables for three days and increase your prayer time still. Two hours every day. And you'll feel it. You'll see breakthrough, man. There's been... I was on a fast one time, and I felt the power of God just all over me. And I was just super soaking in the spirit. I was sitting on my couch. I have this like one spot that I always sit because the anointing never leaves. So I just sit in it. I'm like, it just feels good. And we had Matt Skydeman came over that night for a prayer group that we were doing. And you remember Matt Skydeman from Greg's house, maybe? kind of a bald guy had his wife there you know so Matt Skydeman came over before we were doing that group at the Scuts house we used to do it in my basement we did it one time but there's too many people we couldn't fit and uh, Matt Skydeman sat down in the seat that I was fasting and praying in all day and I was just going for it man like real prayer yeah he couldn't walk like the power of God was so in the cushion he went to get up and leave the apartment that night his wife had to carry him up our stairs it was so funny he was literally like drunk in the spirit. So you can see, you'll see increase like that in your life. It'll just, it'll hit you and you just press into it. The thing is, is most people are unaware. They don't know how to tune in and just be like present and realize, whoa, that's the spirit. That's how I got there. Let's do more of that. It's like spiritual common sense. And when you figure out how to get there and how to increase, increase, how to flow, how to get into that spot where you're in the river and you're just like, ooh. If you can find that in your prayer time, that's why it's important. Turn your phone off, put it aside. This is one thing the Lord's been convicting me about. Don't have your phone near you when you spend time with him. Mm. Don't have your phone even near you in the other room. 
shut it off and get away from it. Because it's only a matter of time before something's going to pop up. Oh, shoot, I need to text that person about this. Oh, shoot, I got to remind the boys we got the meeting tonight. It happened this morning in my quiet time. I was deep. I was thick in the anointing. And all of a sudden, I just had the stop pop up. Oh, snap, I forgot to remind them yesterday they were meeting tonight still. So I texted you guys. Oof. I felt myself leave the anointing like that. So, wait, so when you, when, at that time, is that when you have no music and it's when you just pray? I, I start, my mornings are much different than most. In Psalm chapter 100, it says, Enter my gates with thanksgiving and my courts with praise. I start every worship session dancing and praying in tongues. Something that Smith Wigglesworth used to do, I kind of caught on to it, and I really enjoy it. So I start with like high praise, high energy worship, and I'll dance before the Lord. Dude, I go nuts. I sweat. I break a sweat. I start burning calories in the morning. And I just go for it, and I praise Him, and I thank Him for what He's done in my life, and how good He is, and how awesome He is, and how much I love His presence. And then after that, I'll take a good hour to just soak. And I'll sit there, and I'll just I'll worship Him. We praise him for what he's done. We worship him for who he is. So I'll get into this. I'll get into the spirit and I'll just worship him. God, you're good. You're holy. You're glorious. And I'll just start to get into that place and I'll feel the presence fill the room. Once I'm in that place, I'll shut music off and I'll soak and then I'll read. And once I read, once you're in that place, the Lord can just minister to you while you read your Bible. And it's a, it's like just fresh food. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's very good. I can feel it now. Alright. So another question. Yeah, so I don't know the question, but I thought it was just kinda of like interesting, but so for our Bible class we're our last time probably for like the study of the religion. And so for me I'm studying Judaism. Actually I'm starting on the field, but good job. <laughs> it's a paid roast to you on Saturday. Um, anyways, uh, so today we're gonna to group that into this group Buddhism and they zoomed in a a Buddhist nun that talked for a class about Buddhism and stuff. So it was just interesting, like she kinda of just talked about like it's just like it's so weird because like so one guy in our class asked the question